children wait in the water. Gods are gonna trouble the water. See that band all dressed in white. Gods are gonna trouble the water. The leader looks like the Israelite. Gods are gonna trouble the water. Hello and welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. And in this episode, I will talk about running a thousand miles for freedom or the escape of William and Ellen Craft from slavery. This was uh, published in 1860. So we're getting pretty close to the Civil War with these slave narratives, and these continue to be written uh, through the Civil War and after um, the Civil War, um, in some cases, even after emancipation. I think some of these are produced, um, but definitely up until the end of the Civil War, we keep getting these. Um, this is, I, th- I just want to say, like, reading these slave narratives, again, what's really awesome about these is just how diverse they are from their perspectives. <clears throat> And how each slave narrative is really adding to the overall picture. They're not just, uh, it's not like a, like, a, like you might say about some aspects of genre fiction where it's just like you change the plot a little bit, you know, that they, they, they have their effect and people keep reading it because they like it and they're kind of a, a, like a tunnel vision kind of media environment and they keep getting the same like stories but that's what they want to get um no these narratives all like have their own individual aspect now of course there was many more slave narratives written than just these these nine or ten we're looking at in this series but the ones we're looking at all really do tell a different side of the story for instance here we have um the color line is looked at a lot more and of course that's a theme to some degree in the other ones the other stories of course the 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 close uh, relationship between masters and slaves, uh, sexual violence, uh, biracial children, all that is, of course, a big part of the experience of being a slave in America um, at that time. But but here, the color line becomes part of the, the narrative of, of escape um, more. Now, um, now, obviously, narratives like this will still emphasize the brutality of slavery and still try to push the moral argument uh, that slavery needs to be abolished because it's a moral evil, um, feeding into the antebellum reform culture. And we see that here, too. Quote, uh, I have often seen slaves tortured in every conceivable manner. I have seen them hunted down and torn by bloodhounds. I have seen them shamefully beaten and branded with hot irons. I have seen them hunted and even burned alive at the stake, frequently for offenses that would be applauded if committed by white persons for similar purposes. This is stuff you hear in many slave narratives, and and obviously you're going to hear it in all of them to some degree because that's the experience of being a slave, and these slave narratives will will emphasize that. Um, But this one is really, really fascinating, and, and I think it, it adds a lot to the overall picture of American slavery we're getting from these, these um, autobiographies. So anyways, the story of William and Ellen Craft, it's, it's not just a story of, of American history or the history of American slavery or even the story of American slavery and American freedom. It is uh, kind of a part of Atlantic history. The couple was born as slaves in Georgia, uh, but they ended up their lives active in trying to suppress international slavery, so they become really activists, not just 
against slavery in America, but you know, trying to suppress slavery all across the the region. Um, they worked in Africa and England. They started a school up in Africa. So this couple are are just like really, really based and awesome, and and you know, made their foot in in this movement in in numerous ways. They even become active in Reconstruction South, like uh, like uh, other um, free blacks who went to the South to be active in building schools, building uh, um, you know institutions, churches, things like that for free blacks, being active in the Freedmen's Bureau, all that. Of course, the hundreds of thousands that were in the the war as soldiers um, returning to the South. Uh, they start an industrial school in their hometown. Um, and I was eventually destroyed by the Klan, <coughs> who of course, the terrorist agents of counter-revolution in the Reconstruction South. And then they eventually start a cooperative farm. So they are everywhere, they're seemingly everywhere. Um, and that's reflected in their narrative too, which is about escape. And, 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 and it often comes off, like I said last time, come almost like an adventure story in that we really get the the excitement of, of seeing these people, you know, run a thousand miles for freedom. The, these aren't border, like a lot of these slave narratives for obvious reasons are set in border states. Now that had a dual function. One is the border states were often presented as being like kinder to slaves. And of course, Douglas and others break that down. But also a lot of the runaway slaves came from border states because the Underground Railroad could more effectively operate in those areas because it was close to their bases. And it's just less likely that someone could escape from the Deep South. It, it, you really couldn't. Um, if you look at, even during the Civil War, where did slaves escape from? It's where the army was, right? Border states are where the army was. One reason emancipation came when it did, of course, is because where slaves ran away immediately tended to be the border states, because that's where the army was initially. And that put a lot of, that was a real political challenge for Lincoln because these were places that were not in open rebellion against the South at the time, but this is where a lot of the slaves early on are running away from. So how do you deal with this without offending the ruling class in those states, leading to maybe them seceding? Um, but these guys, they're from Georgia, and, and they're a couple, so they're really an amazing group. An amazing couple, I should say. So there's no byline in the narrative. Um, Unfortunately, uh, William Craft writes the preface, which is a nice little piece of, of writing here. He writes, having heard while in slavery that God made the one blood of nations, all men, of men, and also that the American Declaration of Independence says that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed with their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We could not understand what was right by what right we were held as chattel. Therefore, we felt perfectly justified in undertaking the dangerous and exciting task of running a thousand miles in order to obtain those rights, which are so vividly set forth in the Declaration. I beg those who would know the particulars of our journey to peruse these pages. This book is not intended as a full history of my life or my wife, nor myself, but merely as an account of our escape, together with other matters which I hope may be a means of creating in the minds of some, a deeper importance for the sinful and abominable practice of enslaving and brutifying our fellow creatures. End quote. Um, it's written from London, where he was already active in the anti-slave trade movement. So we have here 
um, I mean, what's striking is, of course, the, the, the immediate appeals to the Bible and appeals to the Declaration of Independence, which is, of course, important for Lincoln and important for the abolitionists in general, appealing to the Declaration of Independence, not the Constitution. Seeing that as a, a more triumphant, important document. Um, Lincoln, when he says four score and seven years ago, he's going back to 1776, not to the forming of the Constitution. So that's key. Um, of course, the religious narrative has been running through this series as well. It's, it's um, crucial to the abolitionist movement and the experience of black Americans. Um, but he also tells you, you're getting the story of my escape, which is different than like Douglas, who was very kind of cagey about, about the details of his escape. Now, the main story of Ellen and William Craft's narrative is the means of their escape from slavery in the Deep South. Um, now, as I said, most slave narratives came from slaves who escaped from border states, just because that's where most of the uh, fugitive slaves came from. It was pretty rare for slaves from Georgia to escape. I don't have the exact numbers, but not, uh, not very common. Um, even like John Brown's raid had to go to Virginia, right? They're not going to the Deep South. Now, the Crafts method is, is pretty awesome. It, it involved Ellen, who was a light-skinned woman, passing as an invalid with William posing as her personal servant. So basically, she's passing as white. He's passing as the, the, her slave, essentially. And the plan worked really well and only had a few snags. Um, now, there was a problem in Baltimore, um, which was on close lookout for escaping slaves because it was a border state um, for that. So they were able to take advantage of the fact that this was not a means of escape from the Deep South. There were runaway slaves, but I think many of them returned or were captured. Um, those that made it out didn't take this path. Uh, that was a path more commonly taken by fugitive slaves in the border states. That's why Baltimore became um, a, a, a bottleneck in their, their journey where they're like watching for that kind of thing. They weren't watching for that so much in Georgia or the Carolinas. So the narrative begins with a point essential to the craft escape, the flexibility of the color line in the United States. So there we're getting really, um, we think way back to the early parts of this podcast, thinking back to like the Harlem Renaissance stories, like that was the key theme of, and it continued, you know, even before the Harlem Renaissance with like um, Charles Chestnut, really a key theme. It was like some of my earliest deep digs into this podcast were about the color line and how it was reflected in black writing at the time. Crafts are kind of innovative in this. Um, obviously, the color line is there, but not quite in this way because it's not being manipulated so much. You know, Douglas isn't able to use his white father uh, to get to freedom. Uh, Ellen Craft and William Craft, her husband, are able to use her parentage and her let, which resulted in her light skin, to uh, escape. The crafts do discuss how even whites could be enslaved, mistaken for biracial people. Uh, I don't know how common that was. Um, and he, he even says white parents sold some of their children to slavery. Again, I don't know the numbers on this. They seem to be rare cases. But they do discuss at length one. And this is a short book. It's like 70 pages. Is it? 40, 60 pages only. 60 pages. And they spend a considerable amount of time on a German girl who was enslaved until she was properly identified as being white. Um, now, obviously, this has two functions. One is to kind of remind whites that this is affecting you, too. You might be picked up as a slave uh, at some point or enslaved. Um, but more importantly, the arbitrariness of the color line, um, which, of course, is what 
is so interesting about it in the in the post-war African-American writing tradition. Um, so this ambiguity helps Ellen and William craft escape slavery, but the crafts want to go further and really suggest the internal weakness of the logic of slavery, at least among those who argue that slavery was a good system because it was based on race. So uh, we've talked about defenses of slavery throughout this series as well and, and how these narratives talk back to those defenses uh, pretty directly. One of those is that we're uplifting black people. Well, if you're enslaving people who are essentially white or are white under the law, what's the, you know, it's not about that. It's just about labor. It's just about getting labor however you can, uh, exploiting whoever you want to get that labor. Also, of course, a lot of antebellum pro-slavery thought was arguing from a position of natural law. And natural law would say, was the idea at the time was that natural law said there's a difference in the races and therefore one race should be in servitude and the other master that's just nature you see that kind of in jefferson even though he was had his misgivings about slavery he kind of comes to this conclusion as well um so the crafts hacked the system of slavery using the color line using the tendency of their masters to move slaves around the country uh, to, and, and the color line together to take advantage of, of, of that system. So that's another aspect of this is because slaves were moved around a lot, they were sold. Um, when masters moved, they brought their slaves with them as servants. So that became the key to their escape. It's really a brilliant plan. Now, as for their audience, the craft's main audience seems to be English readers. They spend quite a bit of time describing the system of slavery in the United States in ways that would have been obvious to readers in the United States, I think. But th that maybe that's true of many of these narratives, which are kind of hitting what is obvious to us now, but maybe wouldn't have been as obvious to fence-sitters in the, in the North who maybe didn't really care that much about slavery or just bought into pro-slavery, pro-Southern apologia. Um, now, slave narratives like this maybe had it certainly had an effect on Civil War era diplomacy. Of course, uh, the Confederacy had always hoped they could get uh, British recognition or help because of the cotton they provided. Britain, it turned out, was able to get its cotton from other sources um, and, and do just fine. And then the moral, but even more importantly, was the inability of Britain at the time politically to to back a slave state uh, or a slave nation. And so narratives like this probably did help build up opposition to slavery among the British public. Now, of course, slave narratives aren't just a U.S. genre. There are slave narratives coming from other cultures, other systems of slavery. Um, and slavery's not only being attacked in the United States, but across the Atlantic world. So um, I don't know if anyone's written a, a cross-cultural history of, of, of slave narratives, but if they haven't, that's, that's a project for someone to work on, term paper. Um, but anyways, the crafts are also a useful introduction to the dilemma of free blacks in the antebellum South, uh, or more precisely, exploring the reasons for the intense hatred towards free blacks shared by the white southern planting class. Quote, they have no mercy upon nor sympathy for any Negro whom they can enslave. 
They say that God made the black man to be a slave for the white and acts as though they really believe that all free persons of color are in open rebellion to a direct command from heaven and that they, the whites, are God's chosen agents to out to out upon them up unlimited vengeance. That comes um, still pretty early in the, the narrative, I guess. Um, but uh, again, due to Ellen Craft's position on the color line, she's she's you know close to this now i guess what i what i'm thinking here that i that i sort of want to reflect on a little bit is the how do we account for the authorship it seems william craft is the author that's sort of how he presents it um he's the writes the preface um but at the same time um it's the escape of William Ellen Craft. The picture on the front is Ellen Craft, the fugitive slave, of course, dressed in uh, cross-dressing because that was part of the, the plan. Um, so that was part of the plan, going as a man, um, but also going as, as an invalid, as someone with like handicaps and, 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 and not, because she couldn't read. So if there was ever an, a situation where her, her ability to read would be tested of course a, a white man should be able to read um, at that time but by posing as an invalid they could get around that Ellen Craft could not um, read but back to the authorship that's what I'm trying to get at is like should we say Ellen Craft is at least like part of it we've seen other slave narratives where it's the story is told secondhand Sojourner Truth uh, Grossenau's where even though Grossenau could read and write, he, he did dictate this to others, and especially with Sojourner Truth, uh, Nat Turner. So we have three narratives, like three and a half here, where the accounts are kind of given secondhand. So I, I'm comfortable putting Ellen Craft as, as one of the authors of this, of this um, story. But it was a really brilliant scheme, um, and, and that's why it became so famous at the time, actually. Now, they back to the free black issue because that's significant. Uh, they do emphasize how much free blacks are hated, but they also talk about legal efforts to make freedom less and less possible for blacks in the South, and efforts to expel such people, which was common, increasingly common after 1830. Um, in you know this the idea of being, especially like in Virginia and places like that, and, and the Deep South, as well, the idea that the presence of free blacks are, is, is a threat to slavery and therefore we can't legally re-enslave these people illegally that happened but legally they couldn't so the, the goal is to try to encourage them to leave the south now that was not really that effective if you look at overall numbers uh, is that like 10 percent of the blacks in the south were free at the time of the civil war i want to say it's about that number maybe it's a little less but not insignificant number of them and they would, of course, be politically against slavery. They they could be activists. They could help with the Underground Railroad. They could, uh, you know, and then help with slave rebellions. They were seen as a problematic group. Um, and William and Ellen Craft are, are aware of that. And then you've got the whole color line issue where you have many of these free blacks who would be light-skinned. And then that's going to, like, itself be a challenge to, to slavery. So this is not one of the more well-known slave narratives, obviously. I think Douglas kind of overshadows these so much because he's always a sign, but I, I think this one really adds a lot to our overall picture. 
because it does explore the subtle line between freedom and slavery. Um, like free, free blacks are being like persecuted just like slaves were. Um, and then uh, you got the flexibility of the color line, not only as a theme in the story, which we've sort of seen before, but as the way that these, this couple hacks um, the system to escape. Uh, we have a lot about mobility. They are a mobile couple. They become Atlantic radicals that travel around. But the fact that slaves were moved around so much in the South is why it wasn't that surprising that a white man would carry along his slave with him, you know, to other places. Just no one, no one took a deeper look at them because it was such a common thing to move them around. Um, so, and then we got crafts as a couple, like, as I said, Atlantic radicals um, that really show the international dimension of their struggle, uh, even though their story is, as an American, as all these other narratives, it's, it, it has touches of like Equiano in that it's like they, they went from this to be like strugglers against Atlantic slavery, which of course was, was in its last decades by the time this book was published. So it's very short, so there's not much more to say. It is a quick read. You can probably read it in one sitting without too much trouble. Um, the next one, I don't know if I'm going to do two or one or two episodes. I, I think I've had some short episodes in terms of the 100 pages rubric I'm on. This has been a hard book to kind of arrange that way. Uh, Harriet Jacobs' narrative is 200 pages, but um, I don't know. I, I've been kind of breaking the rules with this series all along, so maybe... Maybe just do one episode on Harriet Jacobs. We'll see how much I have to say about her. But Harriet Jacobs is one of my favorite slave narratives and, and one of the first I've actually ever read. I think I read it before I read um, Frederick Douglass. Um, you know, there's, there's, like I was just talking with someone on another podcast and, and I mentioned I hadn't read Harriet Beecher Stowe and this, this guy was surprised and it's like, yeah, there's a lot of things we should read, but we don't because they're not assigned, right? And then if you don't get along to read it on your own, you're not going to read it. And that's how it kind of was for a while for Frederick Douglass. I don't think I read Frederick Douglass until I was like a TA in a graduate or an undergraduate class, but as a graduate student. I knew about it. I, I knew it's a basic story, but I didn't actually sit down and read it. Uh, I had read Terry Jacobs earlier, though. So it's kind of one of my first experiences with... Uh, a narrative like this um, so I'm looking forward to kind of revisiting it there's a lot of nice little Americana in it a lot of little vignettes um, and, a, and a really compelling story I think of, 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 of what it's like to be a woman in slavery we've, we've kind of talked about what it's like to be a mother in slavery secondhand in a way well with Sojourner Truth not secondhand but um, I was thinking of, of the Bibb story Henry Bibb this is a lot about marriage but, and this one's not, you know, marriage is a role of, of part of that, but, uh, but just what it's like to be a, a young woman in, in this, this system that's so rooted in sexual violence. So uh, I'm looking forward to talking about that with you in the next episode. So that's it for now. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Like the band that Moses led, gods are gonna trouble the water. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa,